Hello, I'm Martin. And I'm Angelina. And this is the CX Cast. Welcome back to the CX Cast. Today we are joined, as ever, by my co host, Angelina. Hey, Martin. And by podcast regular, Joanna de Cantania. Love being back. Joanna is going to talk to us about the seven steps of highly effective journey mapping. Now, we all know what journey mapping is. That's table stakes. We've probably all done a journey map. Maybe we've all messed one up as well. And that's really what we want to talk about here. So Joanna's been working on this research for years and years and years now and is as close to an expert as you could possibly imagine for journey mapping. And Joanna, you've built this framework around seven steps, haven't you? I want to orientate people on the seven steps because I appreciate us diving into a podcast with like the seven things we're just going to go off and running is a bit confusing. So we have identified, Joanna has identified three key stages, frame the journey mapping effort, create the journey map, and ensure you get gains from your exercise, the three big stages. And surprise, surprise, map the journey, do the workshop is literally step four in the middle of this process. So our steps are form a purpose-driven correlation, create a sense of urgency, prepare and plan, you've always got to prepare and plan, map the journey, so show up and do the thing, validate and socialize, demonstrate some short-term wins, and consolidate improvements. So I don't want to steal Joanna's thunder by doing this, but I wanted to give you a framework for how we're going to talk about journeys, because we want to get detailed on how you do this thing in practice. Where I want to start before we go into this, though, is common misconceptions about journey maps. So Joanna, what is a journey map? What does it do? Yeah, that's a great place to start because there still is quite a lot of misunderstandings out there about what is a journey map, what isn't a journey map. So a journey map is a visual artifact that captures the steps your customer's going through, what they're thinking, what they're feeling, what they're doing, the touch points they're interacting with as they go about accomplishing a goal. And this is really important. It's a person, right? Typically we use a persona to map a journey. So it's a person that represents an archetype, it can represent a segment, and they are trying to accomplish a goal and the map is a visual that captures the things that they're doing, feeling, seeing, thinking as they go about accomplishing that goal. So it's a visual artifact and it helps us to walk in the customer's shoes. That's actually the key point that I think gets emphasized is walking in the customer's shoes. That's a differentiator for a journey map because if we have too much data on there, if we turn it into a service map or a process map or something where we're just trying to complete the full picture, we're not really telling the story of the customer, right? Yeah, and you know, it's important often for us to add other things to a journey map, right? So I'm a huge fan, and in fact, when we talk about mapping the customer journey of adding an ecosystem map to that journey map, we map the people, process, technology that underpin that journey. But the starting point, and we need to get this right, is the customer's journey. We're mapping the steps the customer takes, and that includes interactions with your brand, but also with other firms or organizations, friends and family, with other customers even. We're also trying to capture actions that the customer does by themselves, like waiting or thinking. And we want to, of course, make sure that we have framed the journey correctly. It's about the customer accomplishing a discrete goal. 
right? That's the foundation. That's the backdrop. That's the connective tissue because we're trying to understand through the customer's eyes what they're trying to get accomplished. Then we can start to add other things to that journey map like processes that underpin that or people that are involved behind the scenes, etc. But first we need to get that customer journey right. So what we're not going to do though is rock up in a room with some post-it notes, bang them on the wall and go, hey, we've done it. We're going to start sometime before that process, aren't we, by planning, focusing, getting ourselves ready. So where, where do we start? What do we do first? You've just described one of the biggest pitfalls that I still see, which is companies super enthusiastically jumping into journey mapping, right? Which is amazing. We obviously applaud that, but without thinking carefully about why am I doing this? What's the purpose? Why am I doing this? How does it connect to my strategy? How does it connect to my brand promise, the overall things that I'm doing? So what you described initially, Martin, the three phases, right? So frame the journey mapping effort, create the journey map and ensure the gains from journey mapping. That's essentially a change management process. Yes, it's seven steps, it's three phases, but it's something that most of us have seen, right? It's a change management process. And so it starts with us really framing what we're doing. We are asking ourselves, identifying the stakeholders who should be involved in this process. We are also asking ourselves, what is the journey that we're looking to change? How important is it? Maybe we've done a prioritization exercise before we've actually picked this journey. Also, we need to understand and be able to articulate why are we focusing on this journey instead of some other journey? What's the sense of urgency here? Is there a time frame that we need to improve this journey in? Is this a current state journey? Is it a future state journey? We need to get really clear on why it is that we're doing this, how it ties into what's important to our organization, to our strategy who we need to make this a success, and then be able to sort of build, if you like, an elevator pitch of why we're doing this, what's the business purpose, who are the stakeholders involved. Before you get mapping, make sure you've got that elevator pitch. So there's an important implication in that then that you need to understand downstream what you're trying to achieve with this journey map. So we'll get to that later on, but you need to go into this process knowing this is about getting executive engagement, or this is about deeply modeling future state, or identifying problem pain points right now, right? Exactly. So in fact, what we recommend is that people think or companies think increasingly about their journeys in terms of use cases and audiences. You need to determine beforehand, indeed, just as you described, like, is this a journey that I'm going to use or a journey map, I should say, that I'm going to use to get executive support? Am I using this journey map to paint a vision of what a future state journey is? Am I using this journey map to, to break down silos within the organization? Am I going to use it for training purposes, for new hires that are being onboarded, right? So I need to understand what the use case is, who the audience for that journey map is, because that then determines the types of exercises I'm going to do. It determines what information goes into the journey map, and it sets the scope for what it is that I'm trying to, to do in this particular instance. There's a common issue that I see with clients. Um, too many stakeholders want to get involved. Mm -hmm. Have you ever been able to balance that? Yeah, so it depends again. So going back to, you know, it's important to determine the use case of the journey map. Sometimes we want a lot of stakeholders involved, right? If this is going to be more of an educational exercise, right? We want people to be exposed to the journey mapping methodology, to learn it, to be able to step into the customer's shoes. We probably are okay involving quite a lot of stakeholders. If it's something that is 
time sensitive, right? I need to sort of, you know, what we call quick fire journey mapping. I need to do this quickly. We probably want to keep the group like nice and contained. So again, go back to the use case. What is it that we're trying to achieve? What type of journey is this? Who's the audience? What's the scope for the journey mapping effort? When it comes to too many stakeholders, yes, I come across that problem. You know, think about potentially breaking down how you're mapping the journey, right? So you can start with a manageable number of stakeholders, and you can always augment that journey map by sharing it later with more stakeholders, for instance, asking them to contribute their insights, to add comments, or to validate, or to help you rank and prioritize pain points in the journey. There's many ways for us to include additional stakeholders, but initially keep it manageable, right? And again, how many stakeholders you involve depends on, am I doing it face-to-face? Am I doing it virtually? Do I have the ability to create breakout groups, right? So those are all things you want a cross-section of course, of stakeholders within the organization so that you get lots of different perspectives on that journey. But you want to keep that group manageable. And if you have the opportunity and want to involve more stakeholders, think about involving them later, either when you're reading out the journey map, when you're trying to validate it, when you're socializing it within the organization. Those are all opportunities to broaden the group of stakeholders you reach out to. So we've done our prep in terms of why we're doing this, what's the purpose downstream what do you want to do as we're approaching the workshop itself what what are the preparation we need to do what what do we need to bring into the room what data do we need how do we communicate to the people turning up to get their mindset right what's your advice there yeah absolutely so we start with preparing and planning we need to make sure that we have articulated the journey correctly right in customer terms we need to make sure that we've picked a journey that that is obviously complex enough but not so complex that we're not going to get it mapped in the amount of time that we have set aside for it we need to make sure that we either find or create personas this can sometimes be a roadblock even though i'm of the opinion that you always have something right a baseline persona probably lying around even if it's a product-based persona we can tweak that and take that as a starting point but you've got to have find create personas tie those personas to specific journeys make choices like am i going to be mapping one journey is it multiple journeys am i going to be mapping the same journey for multiple personas these are all things that go into the preparing and, and planning phase Again, to your point, Angelina, making sure that you are inviting the right people and then securing the right materials. So that means if you're doing it face to face, you know, do I have all the materials that I need, whether it's a template I want to put up on the wall or it's just butcher paper, post-it notes, sticky dots so that I can actually vote on things and I can capture what are pain points. There's sort of a list of materials that you need to have available and ready to go. If you're doing it virtually, do I have access to a whiteboard that I can use, whether it's, you know, you're using Mural or Myra or maybe something else? Do I have a template set up in that whiteboard that gets me immediately going with the group? Do I have a link that I can easily share with all of the participants? Those are all of the things that can go into preparing and planning for for the session. Maybe I'm even doing a hybrid, right? So how do I deal with that? Do I want people dialing into something that's happening face-to-face the entire time? Or do I have sort of a portion of the workshop where maybe people that are not present in the room dial into? Those are all things that need to be carefully thought about. So having done the prep, we've got, well, actually one question on the prep. 
I'm guessing that how you'd communicate to the participants is going to be different depending on whether they're on their fifth journey, their first journey, whether you're trying to go high level, whether you're trying to deep dive. Any guidance on the communication style to the people who are going to show up, especially if they're new, because I think that's going to be a common, a common use case for us. If they're completely new to the process, to, to mapping journeys, then maybe you want to share an example with them beforehand. Maybe you want to share an idea of what it is that they're going to be doing. You probably also, you know, you want to clearly communicate what the journey is, who the persona is that you're mapping that journey is, what's expected of them. Who is involved or the level of experience of the stakeholders involved in the journey mapping efforts impacts the next step, if you like, when you're mapping the journey. If it's somebody who is totally new to journey mapping, you're going to probably have to spend a little bit more time setting expectations, making sure they're comfortable with what they're doing. You're probably going to have to spend more time building empathy for the customer or the persona whose journey you are mapping because they just won't be as familiar with how to go about doing that. So don't assume that stakeholders share a unified view of customers or that they have an outside-in mentality. Make sure that you give them enough time to get comfortable with the persona, to build an empathy map, maybe even to role-play what that persona is like, right? Ask them maybe sort of slightly wackier questions like, what would you buy this persona for their birthday so that they can really get into the shoes of the customer? So we've got to probably go an extra mile in terms of helping people who have never journey mapped. One, get comfortable with the exercise, empathize, really empathize with the customer, and then make sure that you are helping them along the way. You know, timekeeping, of course, but also maybe just helping them to really think in those customer terms, right? Pulling people back once they start talking too much in internal jargon or inside out language, or when they start immediately diving into solutions to actually improve the journey, sort of that you pull them back, you rein them in, and you sort of say, no, 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 at this point, all we're doing is empathizing with the customer and figuring out what are the steps that they are taking to accomplish the goal that they set out to accomplish. It requires a little bit more skillful facilitation as well, depending on the level of experience of the people in the room. It's a little bit of, yeah, having to reinforce the rules. Not that you have to play cop, but I mean, I've been in the room with two different journey maps going and we want to make sure they're kind of doing the same thing, which requires, you know, yeah, let's put all these steps as verbs, you know? So is that something you've observed as well where, as the facilitator, you have to be a little bit firm about the process for mapping to make sure it's consistent. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, so my experience, there's an art to that. On the one hand, yes, you have to sort of sometimes just gently step in and maybe indeed help them sort of, you know, reformulate some things as you just described. And at the same time, also, particularly if you have multiple groups mapping journeys and they have different levels of experience, being comfortable with maybe allowing one group a little bit more time to do something, right? Like maybe one group is like racing ahead and they've got all of the steps down and they've got their whole journey narrative down on the butcher paper. And another group is still kind of like <laughs> struggling through it, just has a different pace. As a facilitator, I think you have to sort of strike that balance between stepping in sometimes, facilitating maybe a little bit more firmly, but also recognizing that different groups will have different speeds and that's okay. And that generally you can pull things together towards the end of the workshop, even if you have groups that are going at slightly different paces. And I've experienced this in face-to-face -face workshops and in virtual workshops as well. If you see that a group is really struggling, then sometimes you have to step in more firmly. Just help them out, right? Not take over because they should be experiencing doing it themselves, 
but just maybe facilitate indeed a little bit more firmly, as you say, and of course, make sure that they're still having fun, right? At the end of the day, it is meant to be a fun exercise, the actual mapping of the journey. It's an opportunity to step out of your day-to-day job, to really step into the customer's shoes, and it should be a fun thing to do. Letting them also just play around a little bit with that. There's one moment that I always love in workshops, which is when people have gotten their blue sticky notes onto their virtual whiteboard or their butcher paper, which captures the journey narrative, the steps the customer's taking, and suddenly somebody realizes, oh, I've forgotten something, and they have to reorganize or they have to make space for a step that they've forgotten. At that point, that's the point where I normally sort of think, okay, now they've gotten it. They're really starting to think in customer terms. So I often then also encourage them and say, yay, this is amazing. You might think, oh no, I made a mistake. I have to rearrange everything. It's like, no, this is the whole point of why you're doing this. So positive encouragement is also very helpful. And I want to give a quick plug as well. We recently recorded an episode with AJ Joplin, one of our analysts, on facilitating coordinating workshops. So she goes deeper into that, the, the in-the-moment expertise of how you, how you corral 20 people with completely different opinions to get a result. So go listen to that. Um, before we get on to post-workshop, how long does this take? How long should you have people in a room? How long before they go mad and can't remember what they're trying to do? Like, How long are people's concentration spans? Yeah, so that sort of differs significantly depending on whether you're face-to-face or virtual. Face-to-face, depending on how ambitious the journey is, depending on the size of the group, you can do up to a day, sort of like a full-day workshop. As long as you pace things, you give people enough breaks, you make it sort of a fun experience. You can also compress that though, right? A more experienced group might might actually be able to do that in half the time, right? In half a day. But typically face-to-face, we're talking about four hours minimum eight hours maximum, something around that. Virtual, I am a big believer in breaking up the workshop over two days and splitting it over two days. So what I do typically is five hours in total, and I do two and a half hours one day where we map the customer journey, two and a half hours, preferably the following day where we map the ecosystem, we go into the prioritization and do the ideation, the prioritization and do the rest of the exercises. So that's my preferred format for a virtual setting. We can flex on those times, right? It depends on level of experience, complexity of the journey. There are ways of getting around sort of shortening the time. Maybe you come with a partially built journey map and you have people fill in the gaps. That's one way of compressing the time. So there's tips and tricks to the trade, (laughs) but that's roughly the guidance that I would give. And how do you know when you are done going through the exercises? For me, it's not about just creating that amazing artifact that is the journey map, right? That's great. You know, when we map the journey, we always encourage uh, companies to also map the ecosystem that supports the journey. So people, process, technology, or employee journeys that are crucial to that customer journey. And then we use that to identify, of course, pain points for the customer or opportunities, right? It doesn't all have to be pain. It could also be opportunities to improve the journey. So highlights or things we want to replicate, bright spots. And then we want to go into actually identifying what are some of the opportunities we want to pursue? What are some of the ideas? So we go through an ideation phase to identify ways of improving the journey. And ultimately, we want to end up with a prioritization grid 
where we have some quick wins that the team can go ahead and either validate further. So obviously, depending on what type of journey mapping workshop this is, right? Assuming that this is something that you've mapped with a cross-functional group, then you still have to go and validate the journey, of course, which again is a very often overlooked step in the seven steps of highly effective journey mapping, which I recommend you absolutely do not overlook. But so ideally, you'd end up with a journey map that is a hypothesis of what you think the journey is, that you're comfortable going away and validating, that you also end up with a prioritization grid that has some quick wins, some longer term bets for how you think this journey might be improved so that we end up with some follow-up actions. That's the last sort of phase in the, the change management process is really making sure that you ensure gains from the journey mapping. The objective is not just to create a beautiful artifact. The objective is to drive action from this journey map. We've just spent all of this time uncovering all of these awesome insights about our customers. We want to make sure that we are turning that into short-term wins that we have hopefully jointly scored as a group in the room, in the workshop, based on value to customer and feasibility, for instance, that's a very frequent prioritization model that we use. And then that we are even thinking about how we might measure success. Like what are some familiar metrics that we can use to measure the success of those short-term wins? And that we also, at the very least, have a conversation about how about some longer-term bolder bets for this journey? Who's gonna be responsible for these? Who's accountable? Is there a journey team, a customer experience team, somebody else that is going to help us move this along going forward if it's a journey that is very important, requires ongoing re-engineering, for instance? Again, a little bit dependent on the use case that you've selected for the journey mapping exercise. But at the end of the day, the proof is in the pudding. It's about the action that you drive from the journey map. So you get to the end of the workshop, you've created a journey map that everyone hopefully feels comfortable with. You've gone through some ideation, some prioritization, and then ultimately you want to actually drive some action from that and keep measuring the results of that, right? So turn your journey mapping effort into a success story. So this is a genuine story. This actually happened to me. Some years ago, I think back when you were still scaling all the journey mapping content, Joanna, and I was doing some work on digital and digital transformation, I went and did a presentation at, let's call them a major confectionery company in the UK. No, I'm not going to name names. And we were talking about designing a digital experience. And I asked the question of the room, do you guys have journey maps? Everyone shook their heads. I said, okay, you should probably do that. That would be a good place to start. I walked out the door to go get a coffee and a break, looked up on the wall, and there was a beautiful journey map of their customer journey that those guys had walked past every single day and completely ignored. So somebody made that thing. Somebody probably sent it to an agency and paid a lot of money for an agency to make it really beautiful, yet it was driving zero visibility and traction. Obviously, that's an extreme case. But like in, in practice, how do you make it stick? How do you get traction? Unfortunately, I think there are still situations where that happens and people end up with journey maps in drawers or on walls and they are not driving action. I think that we've come, hopefully, I'd like to think that we've come some way from those days because a lot of companies, they have understood and there are, of course, also better tools out there that help us to make journey maps more dynamic. It used to be that we'd create a journey map on butcher paper, and then it was quite a lot of effort to even get it digitized. There weren't a lot of really great tools or whiteboarding tools out there that helped us to do that. I remember sort of taking, you know, a journey map on butcher paper and sort of recreating it in Google Draw. Like that took a lot of time. Nowadays, we have much better tools. So the majority of companies, if they're mapping journeys, one, they might be doing it virtually, which means that they already have a digitized output at the end of the workshop. That's one of the big advantages of doing it that way, besides compressing time 
or there is a way of digitizing those journey maps so that we are sharing it more effectively within the organization. There is better version control, right? So we don't end up with a map that's been printed and created in beautiful glossy paper and it's outdated or it's on a wall and nobody's paying attention to it anymore. We've come a long way in terms of making these artifacts more dynamic, more shareable, more digitized. That's helping make it more sticky. The other thing is we're instrumenting, operationalizing a lot of these journey maps with data. So they become more relevant so we can more easily track what's changing and the impact of the actions that we're taking. Those are two things that have really, I think, made these journey maps more effective, more sticky, less the situation that you just described. But is the risk, I guess, going back to where we started from, which is be intentful, have a purpose, work out what you want to do, is the risk that we over-rotate on the asset itself rather than what are we trying to achieve by doing that work? That's why I think that first phase is so important. Like, what is our intent in actually mapping this journey? At the end of the day, like the objective, the journey map is a means to an end, but the end needs to be clear. We are looking to make a certain improvement, right? We're looking to improve the net promoter score for this particular journey, or there's this terrible pain point, or we want to reduce the number of calls around this journey, or we want to make this journey more competitive because we've benchmarked it against the competition and we're performing terribly on this journey. So we need to make sure that we are framing this correctly. We know what the actual end is that we're driving towards. And the journey mapping just happens to be an amazing methodology to do this from a customer-centric perspective. In some ways, even though we've spent now half an hour talking about journey mapping, I'd like to uh, encourage you to fixate less on the artifact and less on the actual map and to focus more on, hence, the seven steps of highly effective journey mapping, which is driving action from the original intent of why you actually decided to map a particular journey. So moving into the last two steps, which are demonstrating short-term wins and consolidating improvements. I mean, those are probably the big part where everyone drops off because they have their artifact and they think they're done. How do you see the best momentum going into demonstrating short-term wins? Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of companies, yes, some drop off even at that phase, right? Demonstrating short-term wins. I think there's an art to identifying things that are feasible enough to change and that we think will make a difference to the customer, identifying metrics immediately to determine how we're going to measure whether that's a success or not, and assigning responsibility right there in the room, if possible, to actually go and pursue those short-term wins. So that's one thing that helps with that sixth step of demonstrating short-term wins. So we want to make sure we're scoring, we're assigning metrics, and we're assigning responsibility, if possible, immediately in the actual workshop. The seventh step, that's probably the hardest one, consolidating longer term improvements, because that is about turning journey mapping into a methodology that's a little bit more business as usual. That is about turning your journey maps into dashboards, so adding layering data, adding analytics to your journey maps, and then also looking at journey roles, sort of longer term accountability for improving a particular journey companies that have been doing journey mapping for a little while and they're thinking about journey mapping less as mapping and more as journey management, right? So I'm managing the performance of a journey. That's what the seven steps helps you to achieve. Over time, they are realizing and thinking about how do we actually embed responsibility for these journeys over time within the organization. Often it's this customer experience team that will do a lot of the monitoring and tracking of metrics associated to journeys, so the performance of journeys. But then they will look to assign responsibility 
either to journey teams, if those exist, or elsewhere within the organization to whichever stakeholders are closest to the journey or have the biggest vested interest in improving that journey. That's a harder thing to change over time. There are, of course, ways of doing that. A lot of that comes down as well to governance, but that's probably the hardest step. But we do see more and more companies doing that and shifting from journey mapping to journey management to ultimately operating in a more journey-centric way where they have permanent teams looking at improving journeys that are using, still using the seven steps, but are doing that in a much more structural way. And if you want to learn more about that, episode 318, 318, Joanna talks to us about the journey centricity roadmap. And I think you've hit the nail on the head. It's really about operationalizing it, scaling it, and turning it into not just a tool, but a way of operating your company around the customer. So seven steps, three stages, intentionality being the key thing. So if you can leave us with like one, actually, let me ask for two bits of advice. One bit of advice for the kind of newbies just starting out, and one bit of advice for the people who think they know it all, but could probably get better. So a piece of advice for some of the companies that are getting started with journey mapping is to really think about the purpose. We have some research that we've written about the use cases for journey mapping. There are seven examples of use cases in that report, and I would very much recommend obviously reading that, but really thinking about what is it that we're trying to do here and who's the audience for this journey map. The other thing that I would say is if you're getting started, there is an art to picking the right journey to get started with. Don't pick something that's super complex. Don't pick something you have no metrics for. Don't pick something that requires you replatforming your entire technology infrastructure because that's going to be a hard thing to turn into a success story. There's an art to picking the right journey and also think carefully about that purpose, the use case, the audience for the journey map. That's for the newbies. For people who are a little bit more experienced in this area, I would say really double down on those two last steps of the seven-step process, right? Have you thought carefully about those short-term wins, assigning familiar metrics to them, and assigning responsibility so that you're really driving more action? If you're doing multiple journeys, you have a portfolio of journeys that you are mapping and driving actions from. Have you thought about maybe creating a consolidated roadmap with all of those improvements so that you can start to really manage that as uh, more holistically, as opposed to these sort of flash in the pan journey mapping efforts that I see still some companies doing? Thank you for that run through. We covered a lot of ground. We could probably keep going, but in the interest of time, which has been a way longer episode than normal, but I think it's been worth deep diving into some of the crunch here. If people want to reach you, they can find you on, I'm guessing, LinkedIn. Absolutely. First clients, come talk to us, book a guidance session. And all that remains to be said is thank you, Angelina. Thank you, Joanna. Thank you for having me again. And thank you, Martin. And thank you to producers Ellie and Julia, without whom none of this would happen. If you want to get in touch, email us at cxcast at forrester.com. As always, you can find us at forrester.com or on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to like and subscribe and tune in next time for more CX Insights.